Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined this week by, instead of Stu, John Hadley, our ace research. Wait a minute. It's Stu back in town. Stu is back in California, back from uh, his big vacation. To... I would highly recommend you do a podcast with John Hadley. I think it would be awesome. We will at some point, I think. I think so. Uh, Stu, it's good to have you back. You weren't gone that long, but it felt like... Uh, it felt like felt like two weeks. Uh, I wish it was two. I wish I did have two weeks in Maui instead of five days. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Great to get away. You never get totally away though. Now it's not like you're not checking your phone at some point. Uh, I know. I noticed you had on a couple of our get our colleagues and in, in Spielman and Brady Quinn and uh, and actually I saw a tweet of yours that said the one you did with Chris Spielman was one of the best episodes we've done in a long time, which. Uh, you took offense to that it. I wasn't on that. I wasn't on that episode. It had nothing to do with you not being on there, and it was nothing that I did with it. It was all it was Spielman in that. Um, what I really liked about it, and I got pretty good reaction from it, aside from yours, was it wasn't. It was really unscripted. About the only thing I planned on asking him that I asked him. Well, there was two things. One was Urban Meyer related. The other one was a story that he had once told over lunch about when he was playing with Chris Carter. And it's a good story. But a lot of the other stuff that was kind of fascinating to hear, which I don't know, I'm going to ask you this. You're you're a young dad, similar to, say, to Brady. You know, you're a little, your daughter's a little older than his daughter, but not by too much. Um, I am fascinated now about parenting. Um, not fascinating enough where I read about it. Do you want to... Just... Start a separate pod. We'll keep this one, but we could start a, a dad podcast. Uh, no, I don't think I'd be good at that. But but uh, just you know, when I meet coaches or when I talk to coaches, a lot of times we end up getting in discussion with these family talks, and I'm very fascinated by it. It's a it's because you know I feel like I am trying to juggle two young ones now myself, and so you have a unique perspective on it, and everybody. Is just kind of figuring out as they go go along, and each kid is different. So, well, I can I tell you this: the Maui is obviously an unbelievable place. We've been there a few times now, but that vacation could have been just about anywhere, and I would have enjoyed it because it's it's rare anymore that you get to spend that much concentrated time with your with our daughter. You know, like we both have busy jobs. Obviously, we have the weekends and mornings and evenings, but. You know, five days of just us and seeing her. She's 15 months old now. She's doing things that, you know, like, and you know how it is. Like, they're, one day she does something, you're like, well, I didn't know you could do that now. Um, you know, and seeing her experience Hawaii through her eyes uh, was amazing. So that to me is like, you used to go to a vacation before you had ch children. You would go on vacation to just disconnect and unwind and all that. Now I feel like you go to spend the quality time. Uh, are the reports true out of out of the island state that your young daughter was put up on a surfboard and and was ready to attack the bonsai pipeline? No, and in fact, and also I don't know where this in the tease to the last episode it literally says Stu is still surfing in Maui. I don't know where you guys got that idea. Um, I don't surf. We do snorkel. Yes. Snorkeling yes. is fun. You do not surf yet. When when am I gonna do that? <laughs> we had to get a babysitter just to be able to go <laughs> to the beach down the street and do a little snorkeling, much less take I don't know become a surfer. Hey, uh, 
Did you see that Fox did their upfronts the other day in New York and a big uh, chunk of it was devoted to sports? And I just, just saw this screenshot somebody put up. Now, you and I have known about the kind of game, college football games that are coming for a while, but hadn't been publicly disclosed. I'm staring right now at a picture somebody took from the upfronts where they're talking about college football, the Big Ten deal, and they have up the logos involving some of the games. That are, I guess they're going to be on Fox. I don't think they'd be putting these logos up if they weren't. This is pretty impressive, my friend. Notre Dame, Michigan State, Texas, USC, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Michigan, of course, Penn State, Ohio State. Those are some big games. They are big games, but I'm I'm a little surprised, and obviously we're you know we're probably too close to it, but I'm surprised there were people that were so surprised because Fox got the bigger chunk of the Big Ten. So why well, would you? Well, they're surprised because it's never, for reasons I don't know or understand, it's never been formally announced. Like there's never been a big Fox Big Ten unveiling press conference. Everybody knows that it's happening. But I don't know that anybody's like stood up there and explained the details of it. So I would not blame the average college football fan if they have no. I assume they know Big Ten's coming. They might not know the details. They might not realize that Fox has the better picks in this deal because they spent more money. So these are the kind of games you're going to be seeing there. Yeah, it's it's like we were both in Arizona a couple of weeks ago for the conference meetings, and it felt very different in that regard. Where. You know, being at at the Big Ten presentation, you know, Fox has the big seat at the table and the timing is really good in that, hey, you know, five years ago, I'm not sure the Big Ten brand was anywhere like this. Urban Meyer hadn't won a national title at Ohio State and Jim Harbaugh was still in the NFL and Michigan was just not the same as it is now. Uh, Also, Penn State was in such a different place and now Penn State just just won the Big 10. So, I mean, you have some huge fan bases and you have a lot of intrigue and it's it's exciting football when you're talking about, you know, a Saquon Barkley and some of these guys here. So, um it's just right now it's a very interesting climate in in college football and I think, you know, like as, as somebody does sideline for it, I'm very excited about that. We've got a lot of your emails to get to because it's been a couple of weeks. But before we do, anything in the news you want to hit on? Uh, I was going to get your reaction. We were taping this uh, Wednesday morning. And the latest twist in a really, really ugly Baylor sexual assault scandal has come out. And I'll be honest, Stu, when I heard of this, heard this part of it as another Title IX uh, lawsuit, and it's the seventh one that Baylor has been hit with, this was the one that I was kind of wondering if it was ever going to get out because it was pretty well known. Um, you know, I had done some reporting on the on some of these Baylor cases and had been told that this particular victim who was a, a Baylor volleyball player, it was it was pretty well known from what I've been told amongst Baylor female athletes and that this person was reluctant to go forward but that has since changed and it's a it's you know you want to don't want to say it's a bad look for Baylor because we're already past that but it just still to me it's mind-boggling that Liberty University could have hired Ian McCaw the AD and he is prominently mentioned in this case um Liberty University which had the president of the United States unveil its non-conference schedules in a couple years during their commencement address um Wait, yeah. what? 
You didn't see that? Pre- President Trump gave the commencement address spoke. at Liberty, and during and and part of it, he weaved in, you know, and and I'm excited about some of the what? teams. And you're going to play Old Dominion. He what? mentioned that they like flashed up the graphic, and he and he ripped on them, or he made jokes about. Are you sure? Remember Jerry Falwell, his buddy. He keeps referencing him. Jerry, you sure you want to play Auburn? You sure you want to play Ole Miss? I don't know about that. Yeah, I think some of those games hadn't yet been announced. They used that as their opportunity to announce them. Not to get political at all on this, but it's gotten to the point where I honestly don't know what's parody and what's not. <laughs> that was one of the lighter moments in the news involving the president in recent in the past week or so. Um, we should probably end it there. So, Baylor, um, you know, you, you think you can't be more any more horrified than you already were, but now with this lawsuit where the woman says she was raped by four to eight Baylor players, that it was part of a hazing ritual with the freshman players, that they would do this, that there was videos being shared among them. There's also a mention of dogfighting at these parties. It's, uh, like, what, what more is there to say? I mean, it's, it's, you kept, you know, you kept thinking, like, what more could come out? Or I guess we kept saying, like, nobody can take a chance on Art Bryles because things are going to keep coming out, and they do. And uh, the school is still paying the price for it. Yeah, and I think this is going, this, like, you know, we said, it it would probably get worse before it gets better. Um, If you are Matt Rule and you walked into this, you're like, man, is this the program I want to be around for the next decade? We saw him in Phoenix, and I think he's very much trying to just turn the page, you know, show control remorse what for what control. happened. Yeah. But ask James Franklin what it's like to walk into a school dealing with the aftermath of an ugly scandal. And in that case with Penn State, and it wasn't so much that new allegations were coming out years later. It was just that they just kept, there kept being lawsuits and things that brought it back in the news. And the, the, the truthers were still just trying to, you know, defend Joe Paterno and whatnot. I mean, this is allegations involving recent players and the handling of it you know he put together a nice recruiting class you would think this would be giving parents pause you know as more and more of these headlines come out but i guess if you're a good recruiter and a good coach you can basically just convince people like that was somebody else that we're we're cleaning it up this is gonna be a different story here yeah i mean there's just so many layers to this thing um and and, uh, we got to see where it goes from here on a lighter note, the last podcast I was with you on, I talked about a story I had coming out about a rule proposal that would allow uh, redshirt players to play up to four games in a season without burning their redshirt. Um, that story gained a lot of traction, and now you're seeing coaches being asked about it at the ACC coaches being asked about it at their spring meetings, uh, Pac-12 coaches being asked about it on their conference call. Across the board, it seems like no coach has any reason to like every coach wants this. Now it's not ultimately up to them, but you know, if, or if it were, if we're up to football coaches, it seems like this would have unanimous support. Yeah. I was, um, I listened in on the, uh, on the sec coaches call a few days ago and each coach was getting asked about it. It's got to the point where you just kind of like started rolling your eyes by the fifth coach. You're like, all right, everybody loves this. Um, so Stu, it's quite a legacy you have taken from that Arizona trip. I'm, just, I'm, glad, glad to, I'm happy to have produced something from that Arizona trip. 
you know what's annoying is when they get asked about basically what we remember we had Brett Bielema on and he said he had concerns about the official visits and mm-hmm. I asked him if he would have felt differently he was still in the Big Ten you know sure enough that's the other thing the coaches are being asked about and sure enough the SEC coaches think earlier official visits and early signing date is bad and the Big Ten coaches think it's great it's like uh, that that's become the college football version of Republicans Democrats is northern schools southern schools and what is in their best interest yeah and you you get a lot of I don't know if cattiness, but it just feels like, a you know, it's a lot of agenda driven. I do think that in the case of this, you know, I, I feel like it's not as bad as politics where politics, it's like, you know, somebody who looks at it and goes, all right, you know, this both sides can be morons about this because <laughs> they they really cling to, well, is this what our, our party thinks now or whatever? Is this, you know, and they just defend it over anything, whereas Again, at least the football coaches, it's like, all right, well, when I was in the north, I, this benefited me this way as opposed to in the south. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, it's kind of more of a self-indulgent than anything it's else. It's self-interest, but, you know, and yeah. and we see that a lot in college football. People change jobs and suddenly they have a different stance on something. But uh, no, there's no question that earlier official visits benefits the schools in the north so that players will be visiting them um and not and and paid for paid for official visits at a time when it's just nicer there and earlier in the process so they can commit earlier to those schools and and it's not you know i mean let's put it this way if you're in the sec which has been dominating recruiting for years and years there's no reason for you to support any changes to the recruiting process because it's been working out for you pretty well the way it is good point uh do you want to Jump into the mailbag right now. Let's jump into the mailbag. It's the mailbag from a computer. So not literally a bag, but just mail. And as always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. And let's begin with an interesting question from David. Gentlemen, in your most recent podcast, most recent at the time this was written, Bruce noted that it, quote, almost never ends well for college football coaches. I guess that makes sense since only a limited number of schools each year feel they had a really good season. Can you guys identify coaches in the past decade or two for whom it did end well? Would Pete Carroll make your list even though the consensus seems to be that he jumped ship just ahead of the NCAA sanctions? I really don't think that was from talking to people, and granted a lot of these are Pete Carroll guys, but even at the time, I don't think that was the biggest reason why Pete Carroll jumped. I don't really don't think he expected, and USC did not expect to get as hit as hard as they did. So I would also say, while hardly a, I mean, he left for a better job, but they did have their, um, you know, they had just had a down. So they just, you know, the, their run of dominance had just ended the year before. So I'd be hard to say he kind of went out on top. It, you know, the, when I think of this and I was trying to rack my brain, it is amazing how few guys pull it off. Tom Osborne did. He left on a national championship. One guy that comes to mind is Barry Alvarez, who got to pick his own successor in Bielema, became the AD, you know, definitely not, definitely ended well for him. I was thinking Frank Beamer, but Frank Beamer, you know, they weren't very good by his last, what, three or four years of his tenure there. But I do think there was a, yeah, I'm, I feel like it ended pretty well for him because it sure. didn't seem like it was that hey, messy. as long as you're not getting fired, it ended relatively well for you. Yeah. Uh, you know what ended kind of well in a weird warped way? It seemed to end well for Charlie Weiss. 
because he's made a fortune. Oh my gosh! There, what did it end up being? Like twenty five million? Yeah, I don't even remember what the final figure was. On if you look at both that and the KU, it just one. came out that you know final tally for the Notre Dame buyout was in the I think around eighteen mil, and Kansas was around seven mil. So financially, yes, it worked out very well for him. Although I wouldn't say it did on the field. You know, if you start going through some of these, I'm going to rattle a few names off to you. And these are guys who won national titles um, in some capacity with, you know, like at least in our uh, our lifetimes. Uh, Mac Brown, yeah, you, that definitely didn't end well. Not only did it not end well, and maybe this is a function of him being kind of forced out in the age of social media. Like in some ways, Mac Brown, who I think really did do a good job, he won a national title, built Texas back up, but he became sort of a internet, you know, like a meme punchline. Yeah. No, uh, no question about the quarterbacks in particular. It did not end well for, for Phil Fulmer from Tennessee. Nope. Les Miles. No, that's another example. Uh, Larry Coker. No, it certainly didn't end well for Larry Coker. Jim Trestle did not end well for Jim Trestle. Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier, that's a tough one. Um, I I can't say that it did. I mean, he he no, quit he in the middle of a middle bad of season. season. Yeah. yeah. His was a little more abrupt, right? A lot of these guys hang around thinking they can turn it around, they can turn it around. Bobby Bowden would be a good example of that. And then just you know they can't get they can't stick around anymore. Spurrier left at the first hint of things have gone south. We're obviously also not mentioning the most maybe the most obvious choice on this. We referenced Penn State before. Uh, yeah, that George, did not end know, well. Was, yeah, was so, not. But the question was, who did it? Who who did it? Barry end Alvarez. Well for? We and all we've come up with is Alvarez and Osborne. Because then there were guys who ended up being ads. Did it end well for Barry Switzer? No. Didn't he get fired? What the hell? You know what? We, I should know this off the top of my head. What the hell did Barry? How did Barry Switzer exit out of there? I th- thought he got fired. Fired or resigned? He resigned. Beleaguered Switzer resigned at Oklahoma. I I could see why you would be confused about that because then the next thing you know he's coaching the Cowboys. Oh no, there was six years between then and the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, it didn't end well. You know, I don't know if it didn't end great for Howard Schnellenberger. He left Miami very awkwardly because of a power struggle. What about Lloyd Carr? He it didn't I mean, end the, well. It, the fans had soured on him pretty much. Yeah, he lost to Appalachian State his last year. No. Man, this makes you wonder, right? And I'm just looking. I, what I'm looking at now is just schools. I mean, look at some what happened to Mark Helfrich. Who, based on this history, right, it would seem more likely than not that it, it's going to turn south for Saban before he's done or it's going to turn south for Urban Meyer before he's done. Like, the chances that those guys will I know exactly pre- when to leave when things couldn't be better are pretty low. I predict both guys will end up on a high note. I predict one of the two will not, but who could say? I would not be surprised. Remember, there was a time if, when Urban Meyer did not leave on a high note when he thought it appeared he was done. But he see, he really seems to have, have learned from some of the things that had gone on. I mean, look, there was a – I don't even want to call it a narrative because that cheapens it. But there was you know, the image of Florida football, Tim Tebow aside, you know – had had a uh, had a very sullied perception, and you don't see that at o- at Ohio State. I mean, I know some people try will try to put that on him, but I mean, let's be honest, he's been there for long enough. You do not see a track record that 
is that way. Well, the other thing you can't predict is scandals. Never would have predicted Jim Trestle's tenure would end the way it did. Um, and, and a lot of the coaches that we mentioned and, you know, NCA or, or other issues contributed to it. So, man, I, I, I got to give David credit for this question. It had not occurred to me. Like, you think of a Fulmer or Bowden, but it did not occur to me just how few guys managed to go out on top. Yeah. Uh, our next question, Stu, is from Abel in lovely San Diego. Stu and Bruce, last week I noticed there an anonymous NFL scout gave his take on Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Regarding Rosen, he said, quote, he's the one I know the best. He's got size, athletic tools, velocity. He's just a mess off the field, and he's coming off the injury. He needs to grow up, but the talent is off the charts, end quote. Uh, And this is Abel's question. I may be young and naive. I'm 35, so it's unlikely. But since when does having a hot tub and political opinion equate to being, quote, a mess? Jameis Winston had an open sexual assault case, among other questionable judgment judgment cases, yet he was drafted first overall, but somehow hot tubs are beyond the pale. Yeah, I'm going to give that to you. You know Josh Rosen's right there in your backyard, literally. Yeah. Um, look, you know, anonymous scout. Here's the stuff that I believe is, is real questions with Josh Rosen. Coming off an injury, he's going to have a year to prove, you know, does he have, you know, the juice back in his arm, which I'm pretty sure he does. Uh, the questions with him are going to be twofold. And I don't know if I would, I think the being a mess to me is a, is probably a poor choice of words on that. But the question is going to be one, uh, how much does he love football? Because he's a very bright kid and extremely intelligent and has, uh, you know, seems to have other way off the field interests. And the second thing is, how well does he take coaching? And that is, you know, look, he's on offensive coordinator number three, and that's a function of UCLA more than anything else. But so we'll see what he does with Jed Fish, who has NFL ties and, you know, an NFL resume. And going forward, we'll find out more about that. But I think, look, some of the perception that you're talking about here is the function of being, you know, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated last year and he's been a high profile kid. So people know about him. I, I think that the more people know about you, the more you're projected out there, the more scrutiny is going to be there. You know, whether it's true or, or, you know, or not, people tend to poke holes in that. Like I felt a little awkward. This, this is a kind of an aside a month or so ago when all of a sudden there were kind of reports coming out about Josh Dobbs being a possible first first round pick. You know, I was like, you and I talked about it before the podcast, and I'm like, ooh, the swords are going to come out on, like, this awesome kid who's, like, a, you know, great representative of, you know, college athletics, you know, certainly academically and what he does off the field. But all of a sudden now, you're a first-round guy, and it gets, you know, all of a sudden you get held up to a different level of scrutiny. Just like it, we, we said you never know which Saban Meyer could go south even when you least suspect it. You know that with Darnold and Rosen and everybody just assuming they're going to be these, you know, the first quarterbacks taken next year, that it's going to, by the time we get to next year's draft, some people have picked apart, picked them apart, and one of the two will have sunk. I don't know which one. It seems like there's much more concern about Rosen. Of course, Darnold has, hasn't played that much. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't be at all shocked, and this again, this is probably wishful thinking from people inside USC, that he may not leave after you know, even if he does have a really good year, then he may want to stay another year. And it's who just, you know, there's no, you know, he's only played one year. 
So we'll see. Um, that wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot of time to get to before next spring's NFL draft. So Peter Fumo in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Dear Stu and Bruce, I'm sure that over the years you've spoken to coaches who have been head coaches at both the NFL and college levels. Is there a general consensus on differences in skill sets needed and which is more difficult? You know, there's obviously the, the bigger picture issues, but I was surprised in talking to one person who's done both how much the actual on-field feels different to them in terms of literally the hash marks are in different places. Uh, the clock is managed differently. That, like, actually managing a game is a lot different between the two levels. Yeah, and look, as as uh, Chris Billman himself pointed out last week, it's a much cleaner game in the NFL. The quarterback play is at a much higher level. And I think the the gap between a really good player and somebody else who's on the field isn't as significant in the NFL. So, plus you have way more time. This is, you know, and I heard this from somebody who, who uh, coached with Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss, you know, in the NFL, you know, you can have players who can retain a lot and do a lot more, whereas you can't change your game plan radically, the style of play, you know, from week to week. You just don't have time and the players can't, can't adjust to it. So I do think that there are, some guys fit better at, at those levels. And I think, you know, we mentioned Pete Carroll b- before earlier in the podcast. And there are a lot of people who were skeptical how well his style of coaching would translate in the NFL because it was, quote, you know, too rah-rah in college. Well, you know, he's won a Super Bowl and turned out to be a great coach at both places, you know. But I'm not sure how many guys are that way. We'll see, you know. This is a question I have for you, and I know you haven't spent any time around him, and neither have I. How great of a coach or how good of a coach do you think Bill Belichick would have be, would be in college football? I don't know that I don't know because they're so different. And and sometimes I wonder what NFL coaches do all off season because it seems to me there is not nearly the demands there isn't. I mean, they're not they don't have to recruit. Recruiting takes up so much of, of head coaches and uh, all of the coaches jobs there's not the booster functions there's not the the you know th- as far as i know there's no sec media days in the nfl um and then academics somebody's constantly coming to you saying um such and such is in danger of flunking out of class such and such broke curfew last night like there's just there's just not that to deal with in the nfl well, here's the here's something, and I, I'm curious. Maybe we can kick this around a little better. Um, the thing I've heard that makes Belichick so great, one of the things, is that the like there is an adjustment that you're going to get, you know, at the start of a game because that's somebody's game plan for you, and then there's an adjustment to that. And what I've heard is great about him is his counterpunch to that at that point. Well, I'm not sure, you know, how easy it is to get you know, 19 year olds to be able to absorb that, you know, on that, to have that much, you know, he's dealing with Tom Brady and he's dealing with, with guys who have spent a lot of time, you know, in, in the game and I spend a lot of time. So one thing I do think where I tend to think he would be successful is if he could do as good a job instilling a very unique culture that, you know, you hear about that all the time, the culture of a program. And I don't hear that as much in the NFL, which you certainly do with him. I mean, they, they just plug guys in and keep rolling, um, like the San Antonio Spurs. So clearly he has built a a program, if you will, that guys come into. You do it the Patriots way. You do it the Belichick way, and you will succeed. That's kind of how Alabama is. 
Um, but I don't know the intricacies of it enough to know if 19-year-olds would buy in as much as 30-year-olds. Yeah, I, my hunch is he would be really, really successful. Would he be as successful as Saban? Uh, I don't know if I would say that. I could be wrong. But what I'm going to ask you is give me one guy who has never coached in the NFL at any level at, that you think would be very successful and another guy who also has never coached the NFL, you know, like who's who would be one of your top 20 college coaches who you think, yeah, I couldn't see this guy having much success in the NFL. Because the guy I've never been an NFL assistant. Let's say he was never an NFL head coach. I mean, the obvious one is David Shaw. I think he would do well um, yeah. because so much of his, you know, his roots are, are steeped in the NFL, John Gruden. Sure. Whatnot philosophy to begin with. Um, but I'm trying to think of somebody a little less obvious than that. You know, it'd be fascinating. It's not going to happen. It's way too late. How would Bill Snyder do as an NFL head coach? You know, at this stage is hard to, it's, it's hard to say, but I'm guessing he would have done pretty well just because you don't you know, think the NFL is, players would have found his stuff to be hokey. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, that's people, you know, he's not Pete Carroll style. I don't know if I would say hokey. I just, you know. I don't know. Everything about them is the execution, which works. I mean, I would I, I feel like I would not bet against Bill Snyder, but I don't know if I could say I mean, that's a good guess. That really is. I mean, when, when I asked you this question, I was thinking to do have Kenny Amatololo in his top 20. And just because of this you know, style of play, I wondered how that would translate. Well, he wouldn't run the triple option. So it would just be how effective he is as a, as a leader and a motivator more so than the X's and O's. Yeah. The other one, well, I got one more for you. I think James Franklin could be a successful NFL head coach. Yeah, well, you know what? Actually, when you asked me about can he be a co- have have worked in college, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, I mean, you know, he'd spent time with the Packers. He also has been interviewed for head coaching jobs. I I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, this question is from Dustin Her, Stuart Bruce, with arguably the best and most experienced backfield in the division. Do you think Northwestern has a chance to win the Big Ten West? I wouldn't call it a great chance, but, you know. You riding the Clayton Thorson train? I've been surprised to learn this offseason how well thought of he is in the Big Ten. He had a pretty brutal first season as a redshirt freshman. Then he suddenly looked really good last year, but you wondered how much of that was Austin Carr. But no, he's, he's pretty highly respected. But, you know, you've also got Justin Jackson, who's a fantastic running back. And, and like you said, it's not just him in the backfield. I'm not that familiar with who's coming back on defense other than who's not coming back, which is Anthony Walker, for one. Um, I mean, you know, I think that division, as we've said many times, is not a bunch of juggernauts. So you're always going to be in the mix, maybe. But, you know, I mean, I, I got to think Wisconsin or Nebraska would, would come in ahead. Here's a problem I have, and I don't, I don't know. You, you would know their offensive line situation better than I do. He took a ton of sacks last year. Yeah, he did. And and I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Brett Hundley managed to, to have some success, you know, in the similar kind of, you know, running for his life all the time situation. They got four starters back on the offensive line. They've also got familiar. He'll have some familiar receivers outside of Austin Carr. I don't think offense will be their problem. It'll be, I mean, they, they got, in the last couple of years, they got pretty good on defense, relatively speaking. But some of the best players from that are gone now. So that, to me, is the, the bigger concern. Yes. Um, uh, Bruce and Stu, 
Uh, I know <laughs> some some readers you immediately recognize because of their location. Sean in Turks and Caicos. Spruce and Stu, given the recent layoffs at ESPN, are we now closer to a college football super conference with a smaller number of universities splitting a bigger pot of TV money between them? That's exactly what I uh, threw out there last year in a, kind of a fun, a little bit fantasy column. Um, the way this is headed, I do think that rather than focus on is this conference going to move to 14 or 16 or whatnot, think more radically, whether this is going to be eight years, 10 years down the road, maybe longer. At some point, if, if we assume that ESPN and maybe Fox aren't going to have as much money to spend next go around um, and we're to be determined or seen what, how much Amazon or, or Facebook or Twitter might be a factor in this. I keep saying face. It's not really Facebook. Twitter seems much more interested in live rights. Um, I don't know. I could see them saying the traditional model where a TV network was saying, you know, it's worth it to, to be able to get Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. It's worth it to us to buy your the rights to your whole conference, even if that means we're also going to have to find a place for Purdue, Rutgers, Maryland, etc. Will they just become more more picky about it and say, well, we'd love to pay you a lot of money to show Ohio State, Michigan, but we don't really want the rest. But you know what would be great? You know how you could make a lot of money? If you guys leave the conference and pool with Oklahoma, Texas, USC, etc. and turn it like a, a super, super conference of college football. Yeah, I feel like USC fans kind of kicked this idea around a few years ago because they were so pissed off at the NCAA. And, you know, I wonder. I don't anything. know, but that's not necessarily, you're not actually leaving the NCAA. No, but what I think you would be talking about is somebody saying, you know what, we have a brand, you know, if we can raise other people, then, you know, we're pulling away, then we can do our own thing. Now, obviously there's, I don't even want to call it entangled. I mean, the money that the PAC 12 is getting is still really, really significant. But I think what you're looking at is somebody looking at saying, well, maybe someday Texas will go independent or something like that. And then, you know, you start getting a light bulb in other people's heads. Uh, I just don't know usually, and again, I, I feel like this is, maybe I'm speaking out of school, but usually these, you know, people who make these decisions, I feel like outside of maybe the big 12 people are usually pretty conservative and they wouldn't make a, a, a radical move like that because it's so, um, it's, there's so much uncertainty goes with it. It goes against the grain for what they've done for so long. Well, and there's a lot of loyalty to, you know, those relationships, those relationships, right? no question. But with each passing year, some of that fizzles away a little bit more. I mean, we live in a world where Missouri and Kansas aren't in the same conference, and Texas, Texas A&M, and whatnot. Um, I, I think it would come out of necessity. I know I, I don't think it would just be let's do this because we have the luxury to do it. It would be if there's some sort of kind of existential threat to the model where you're no longer going to be able to fund all the other sports you want to fund unless you do this. Um, something like that but all bets are off in my opinion when the college football playoff current deal ends in nine years because if we if we if you think it's going to go to eight teams or whatever um it would make sense at that time for some of the other pieces to change change dramatically as well uh i'm curious how often outside of work do you use the word existential does that come up a lot (laughs) 
<laughs> by yourself using that. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it's been coming up a lot more lately. Um, <laughs> a lot of existential questions if you work in our business. No, that's a that's a favorite word of mine. I use it a lot. Yeah, you know, what's your give me your pretend, equivalent? Pretend, pretend you and Andy Staples are sitting at Chick Fil A. How does that come up outside of outside of your work? Outside of my work? Yes. Mm. Use it in a sentence. Right now, the sports journalism business is facing <laughs> existential threat uh, to its entire business model. How about that? Uh, and that's not that's still kind of in the business. I, I'm sorry, I don't I don't have a good example for you that involves neither sports nor media. It's not like uh, well, let's just say in my household, it's not like me, Emily, and we're talking about Madeline or something. There's anything existential going on there? Okay, we are at Scott Carey. Uh, I really liked Coach Fleck's interview last week on the podcast. Great job. Thank you, Scott. It was interesting to hear the row the boat was not just coach speak, but a whole philosophy for life. Uh, everyone seems to just say that the American has clearly passed the Mountain West as the top group of five conference. Do you agree with this? And if so, will the American continue its reign this year? I don't think it's even a question. I think the American is kind of I know they would like to make it the power six. I'm not going to go there but i do think it's kind of moved uh, past the other group of five conferences into kind of its own category and that makes sense because you know it's a conference that used to be the big east which used to be one of the bcs conferences also the mountain west i mean let's be honest this is not the same conference it was five or six years ago when it had i mean think about who used to be in that conference tcu which byu B- tcu byu and utah TCU and Utah doing pretty well for themselves yeah. in the yeah. in the power conference structure. BYU out there as an independent. I mean, that, those were huge losses. They got Boise State, but the rest of it hasn't really helped them out in any significant way. So, yeah, to me, that's not really close. Now, the one thing the American is constantly going to be dealing with and is dealing again this year is the turnover with, with the head coaches. coaches. Yeah. Did you see the nugget Navy put out there recently? Ken Niamatololo has been at Navy longer than all of the other co- coaches in that conference combined at their schools. That is a, that's a hell of a stat. Yeah. That is a... That's crazy. But when you think about it, you, how many coaches, how many schools have turned over coaches there uh, just in the last two years, much less the time that, I mean, Neil Matalolo has been their coach since 2008, I believe. I mean, Temple has changed coaches, South Florida, UCF, Cincinnati, East. Actually, the entire East Division has changed over in the last two years. Temple, USF, UCF, Cincinnati, East Carolina, and Connecticut. In the West, not Navy. Tulsa, he's been there, what, about three years now? And he that yes. makes him a grizzled veteran. Memphis has, Houston has. Um, Chad Morris has been in SMU three years, I believe. This is, this is going to be his third. This is going to be his third year. Third year, and Tulane, yes, Willie Fritz. This was only his first year of the past year. So, that's that's a lot of turnover. And well, I guess the good news is if everybody's turning over. <laughs> somebody's still got to win the games. But I don't know. Do do they have a year, whether it's this year or next year, where it catches up to them and they don't perform as well out of conference? We'll see. Yeah. Um... Look, and, and the Mountain West does have some interesting storylines. Obviously, Wyoming and Josh Allen, uh, our buddy Andy Staples just wrote a big story about him. Lots of people are talking about him. I, you know, even with Boise State losing some really good players to the NFL, I, I mean, I still think they're going to be good. But they have 
I think they have eight or nine starters only back, you know, on both sides of the ball. Here's something though I want to. You're really going to mention the Mountain West and not mention two-time defending champ San Diego State? Uh, I actually was, but here's what I was going going with that. A couple of weeks ago, you broadsided me with uh, with a little tweet about my absent-mindedness over lunch in Arizona, right? Oh yeah, that was a fun little story. Did we ever tell that story on the podcast? I don't know, but you know who had fun with it? Uh, the, I was surprised that I almost didn't get it right away. It was uh, Nick Rolovich, the Hawaii head coach, said something to me about the chicken. And I was like, what? And then I kind of got where he was going. I was like, oh, he saw it on Twitter. So the story is, this was two weeks ago now, um, you know, you hang around that hotel in Phoenix until, and then once everybody goes back into their meetings, we we writers, and there are about, what, six or seven of us, go get lunch. So this is a hotel restaurant. And I remember the only reason I remembered what you ordered is because I asked for my sandwich on a different kind of bread. And I heard you do the same thing. You asked for a turkey sandwich on some different kind of bread. The food comes. Don't think twice about it. Start eating. Look over at one point and like, and you're eating what is like, I guess like a glorified Chick-fil-A sandwich, like a big, like a big piece of fried chicken. I'm like, I don't think that's what you ordered. <laughs> and your reaction was? You know, you're right. I didn't order this. <laughs> I didn't order this, which raised the ethical question, because at that point, you were basically almost halfway through it. This wasn't like you took one bite or two bites and went, wait a minute, didn't I order turkey? You basically ate half the sandwich, and you still at- told them to send it back. Well, here, you, when, when you say send it back, it, it makes it sound like I was a big dick to the guy. What <laughs> no. happened was I, there was like there was some kind of there was a lettuce and some kind of spread on it. And so, you know, I, I kind of like wiped down some of the spread because it was too much. And I just kind of put the sandwich back together and didn't think much of it. Now, I don't want to say in my defense, because what I'm about to say is not going to be a good defense. But in my defense. That was the that was after the first night I was there. I had had a little bit of a long night the night before. And I don't want to say I wasn't lucid, but I just wasn't like that focused into to what I was eating. So um, I just knew it it wasn't something you would have ordered. You wouldn't order a fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. And then so when I said, hey, by the way, I didn't order this. And he was like, oh, okay, sorry. And then he screwed up my order anyway. So on the on the second time, and I was just like, ah, oh, screw it, I'll just eat it. So I, I remember George Schroeder and I. So you ate the whole turkey sandwich, and you'd eaten half the chicken sandwich. And George Schroeder and I wanted you to ask them to box up the rest of the chicken sandwich. Yeah, uh, where did, okay? This is this was because the Hawaii coach uh, t- saw the tweet yes. and made a joke about it. Um, all right, I really like this question. We are taping this the day after the NBA draft lottery where the Lakers got the number two pick and seems fairly obvious who they're going to take. Lonzo Ball, his father, has been in the news a little bit. His father completely uh, offended one of our FS1 counterparts on the radio um, this morning. Anyway, Stuart and Bruce, I'm sure you're familiar with Lonzo Ball's father, LeVar, and the cornucopia. Hey, do you use that word in conversation? Cornucopia? No, I do not. I do not. I can't say that I do. In the cornucopia of controversies and talking points he's generated during his son's single season at UCLA. So it had me wondering, if Lonzo Ball was a consensus five-star football recruit and LeVar was still LeVar, what college football program would you think he'd end up signing for? Furthermore, what coach would be the most incompatible with LeVar Ball's antics? Bonus points if you don't say Nick Saban, which is the easy way out. You know, I think you 
you and I both hear kind of behind the scenes stories about helicopter parents in football, parents who are a real pain in the neck for the for the coaches to deal with. But you never, there's never been anybody that I can think of that kind of became a public story like this in football. Mm, well, oh, Todd Marinovich's dad. Yeah, I could look. I mean, I work at Fox now. I, I might still be at ESPN if it wasn't for a certain helicopter dad at at, uh, at Texas Tech. So that's true. Uh, um, but I was thinking more like this naked. And I guess it's 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 easier to do in basketball, right? I mean, these one and done guys are basically they know they're going to be pros before they ever step foot in college. College football, there's no guarantee that any five star recruit is going to be able to do his own shoe deal three years later. If it was going to happen, it would probably have to be the parent of a five-star quarterback. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder, I could, I could almost see this kid at A&M because uh, Johnny Manziel was there and they managed to keep it on track to some degree. And, and I don't know if somebody would see that and go, oh, I could, I could do that. Uh, in terms of the incompatibility. If he's good enough player, anybody's going to take him. Father, you know, whoever the father yeah, is, they're going to the, take And him. the kid, to my knowledge, it's not like the kid had had domestic, you know, like the kid's not done anything. It's the dad's a pain in the ass. And he's going to continue to be now in L.A. Good luck. Have fun because he's going to be part of your life in L.A. now for the next As- however many years. Aside from Nick Saban. Who would he uh, be most coach- incompatible with? Bill Snyder. Yeah. I don't know if I would even say that. No. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how, how hands-on Bill Snyder would be with the dad. You're in the middle of you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, remember, like, didn't they? They took, you know, Bryce Brown's brother Arthur. I don't know. I mean, um, well, what is what does incompatible mean? I mean, Steve Alford just puts up with it. He does. It's like a non-story for him. Who would clash with the dad? If anything, this would be considered fairly harmless. Like, I don't think a coach would particularly care. If the dad is going around trying going on TV shows and trying to get him a shoe deal, it's more the 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 harder part is what you had to deal with, where the guy is calling the coach, telling him he's an idiot for not playing his son more. Right, especially if the son's not that good. That's the that's the thing. Um, I feel like we're missing like a good answer here of who would like be pulling his hair out if if he had to put up with a really overbearing dad. Gary Patterson. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that's not a bad answer. Will Muschamp. Uh, Chris Peterson. You just throwing names out or you, you got like... I'm doing the know, mental Rolodex and thinking of guys who would be just like incredulous about it. Uh, but again, they would all put up with it unless... The guy is not that good. Yeah. I feel like we're missing like an obvious one or something. Well, let the listeners contribute because we've we've got a couple emails later for something we talked about that people have answers for. It's a lot of dead air right now. You, I know. You're, you're generating a lot of my dead head. air. I'm sorry. I'm I'm like trying to give you a good answer and I don't I'm like I'm staring at the half-eaten chicken sandwich right now. All right, well, think go. think about it some more while I read these. Um, these Remember we talked about, somebody asked us, it was a really good question, and it was another one of these where you have to try to think of it on top of your head. Recruits who, the most shocking recruits who left their home state. 
Uh, we didn't have a lot of great answers, but I had a good these people answer. Do. Anthony Thomas. That was a really good one, actually. Ryan Bushmeyer has two. One is C.J. Spiller, who was long thought to be a lock to go to Florida. People were pretty shocked that he left for Clemson. That is true. And Rex Grossman, Sexy Rexy, was Mr. All-Everything in his home state of Indiana, but recruited himself to Florida to play for Steve Spurrier. Hey, a little inside magazine thing when I think of Rex Grossman. So we did a little department story at the magazine, which is, you know, grand total of probably 300 words, going into his first spring. And there was a picture of Rex Grossman throwing the football. And I think our photo editor was like, didn't love this shot because they needed room. So instead of cropping it, like they had records from releasing the football, but they had to lower the football. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's almost like it's coming out of his armpit. It wasn't that obvious, but it was like, no, something's fucked up here. And <laughs> they just kind of, no, it wasn't my call. But anyway, sorry. Uh, so that was a good one. And James Decker from Stanford, Texas, parentheses, James Washington's hometown. Um, Which I know is a tiny, tiny little place. I'm talking to him. One of the biggest recent shockers I can think of was Landon Collins. Bama was obviously a known favorite, but choosing Bama over LSU as a New Orleans kid and doing it on national TV at the All-Star Game, surrounded by family members clad in purple and gold, and his mother flipping out on TV was some great drama. That Have you ever gone and rewatched that? It's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I do. That is, that is a good example of that. I, I mean... For live TV and you get really because weren't you the one talking about the Lorenzo Booker stuff where signing day drama there's really nothing like it because it's so it can be so awkward like that yeah and and you would think right that the players that the, that the parents go into those live announcements knowing who the player is going to say and maybe she did I don't remember all the details and still wanted to express her disgust or maybe it truly did come by surprise yeah. By the way, I got two answers for you. Okay. And then uh, coach who might most likely would have a hard time putting up with the overbearing dad. Uh, Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. I just, I just don't see that. Um, and then the one I'd be curious how David Cutcliffe would deal with it. He wouldn't. That's a great, that, that may be one of the only cases where he would just tell yeah, them, I'm not, tell putting them up, yeah. I'm not putting up with this. We're not recruiting him. Yeah. Although I could see a couple other programs doing that. You know, you answered that question about um, Josh Rosen earlier, and I wonder in football David circles, Shaw. yeah, how much, how much the the legend of Josh Rosen, if you will, began when Stanford passed on him because they just didn't like his demeanor. Yeah, I mean that wasn't the, that wasn't the dad though. That's him. But I'm saying. If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to right, right. to not recruit a guy who is, you know, kind of the consensus top quarterback in that class over something like that, it seems to me they might also pass on a guy who's got an overbearing father. True. Um, this last thing is just a concern that Eric Kay wanted to pass along, but I'm guessing you've heard about this being in L.A. Bruce and Stu love the show. You guys helped me get through my long commute. I just wish you were on more often. I mean, I feel like Bruce is on every day. I I, so I went on vacation for a week. I was writing in because I went to spread aware. I want to spread awareness about the renovation of LA Coliseum. USC is removing the best seats in the stadium, replacing them with a tower of box seats, and displacing thousands of people who've been season ticket holders for generations. 
I'm hoping we can get USC to change the design before it's too late. I did see, Eric, yeah. Eric, I am very versed in this. Yeah. Because my friend Ryan Abraham, who runs uscfootball.com and has for, I guess, 20 years now, his site has been all over that and the frustration they have from, from boosters uh, who are being displaced. And it seems like it's a very screwed up transition that they've had to the stadium, re Coliseum renovation. Uh, for people who are curious to hear more about it, I would say go there because they've written about it more than any place I've seen and certainly talked about it. I got to be honest, if I didn't live out here and know them, I don't think that's the kind of, I don't even want to call it minutia that would be on my radar, but just because I've heard so much about it, I'm sure Eric is probably already familiar with some of their, 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 uh, commentary and reporting on it, but it's, there's a lot of ticked off USC fans who are like, wait a minute, you know, we just won the Rose bowl. We got Sam Darnold back. There's a lot of enthusiasm. And all of a sudden we're finding a way to shoot ourselves in the foot in this way, or, or kind of, you know, kind of cause ourselves a headache that we shouldn't have. It's true. After all those years of soap opera drama there, they finally got themselves about what? Nine months of good pub, good controversy free pub. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that stinks whenever something like that happens. All right. And on that note, it's, uh, it's good to have you back, Stu. Thank you. Let's do this again sometime. Okay. Maybe Monday. Maybe Monday. Um, as always, send those emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll be doing them more. I, we went a couple weeks without doing it. First because we were in Phoenix and then vacation. We'll be doing that every week. Rest of the off season. Promise that. Can we make that promise? We can do that. And um, so you send those emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. And tell 10 of your friends about it. It helps get the word out. We'll see you next time.